Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Through uh, a lesson plan, it's very simple, uh, process that I work with uh, men on. And so this would be one of the, uh, a lesson or a version of a lesson that you might find in Men of Peace. And so this would be in the uh, informational stage. And so if you recall uh, in the work that, that I do, I have three main movements that we talk about information, transformation, and reformation. Uh, information being the learning phase or the educational phase. Now, we found over the years that the, that's the primary work of intervention with men who consider themselves to be uh, abusive, those who would be destructive or abusive is educational. And so some even use the word psychoeducational. But of course, for our purposes, we're talking about um, biblical education, where we're going to be informing from a scriptural position. <clears throat> That's uh, an interesting opportunity that we have as people helpers coming from a Christian environment that say some of our secular counterparts don't, is that it's widely believed in intervention work that education is key, that beliefs drive behavior, but it's also a very difficult to agree on a set of beliefs or say a worldview uh, for which people should ascribe. and what we can do as believers is we are bringing a worldview to bear. Uh, we are assuming if that person's claiming to be a believer, then we have a standard by which we can hold them to and a standard by which uh, we can engage with them. And that is of course the standard of scripture. And so I'm going to walk you through just one lesson. Again, this is in the information phase. And so this would just be one area in which I want to educate men in regards to power and you'll see uh, or you you would see that um, what we're calling for is a redeemed view of power and what we find is that most of the guys that we work with have a high sense of entitlement have a some advantage right in fact I, i'm going to be one of those and it's it's tricky it'd be uh, interesting to have further discussion about this I get a lot of questions about abuse that come in and sometimes the claims of abuse are, are there, but when you investigate and you pull back the curtain, there's, there's little to no power. And, and that makes it very difficult to, and I, I don't want to say substantiate because I, I don't do that. I, I try to operate under belief, but if an individual has freedom, uh, if they are not in fear, if there's no threat, if physical and sexual violence is not a, um, you know, the kind of the outer layer, that threat being there, then it's very, very difficult. I don't mean that in any way to diminish anyone. I'm just saying that that's how significantly I view power, is that power has a significant role to play in the way in which people experience behavior and choices. And so I do put a high priority on that. And what I find is when I work with men, uh, it's important to have this discussion regarding power because many of the men that I work with um, come from a place maybe of privilege in certain areas where they don't see their power as significant. They don't see it um, fully or they 
enjoy it so much that they they use it. It will be part of them. And it's important that we, I guess, at least present what I think the biblical alternative to this power over destructive dynamic is. Uh, one thing that I think most believers can agree on, although there are some who who really crave power, but most of us can agree that uh, power and dominance was not something that that we're called to. It seems counter counter Christ or anti Christ. Anyway, let, let's talk a little bit about how we go about this. Some of the ways that we can educate, and I think the first is to really confront the worldly view or the kingdom of the world view or the popular view or the held view of power. And I think what what most people articulate and think of when they think of power is they think of authority. In fact, this is one of the things that really hangs us up in the church. We use the word authority quite a bit as if authority is some kind of unquestioned, top-down, um, you know, you can't push back on, you can't challenge type of um, dictatorship. And, and I'm going to try to dispel that by using the scriptures throughout as I'm working with guys. But I would say the vast majority of folks see it kind of uh, as that traditional hierarchical pyramid, right? Where the pyramid is very narrow at the top, very wide at the base, that authority rests at the top very small group or an individual rests at the top and that person uses their power privilege position to press down and use um, those beneath them we call this objectification or oppression in fact i will often have this triangle drawn out with authority at the top and the object at the bottom there is usually a target in which power is used a couple things that i try to outline uh, for folks. And again, it's not exhaustive. It's just kind of the, the way that I process things is first talking about power and position as the context. This is the context by which this happens. Someone has an advantage. And it is important in some ways to delineate how that they came about that advantage, because there are some advantages that are natural, that are um, um, morally neutral. In fact, I might even use the the good, bad, and neutral language to say, you know, there's some power and position that's that's good. It's it's come about by, you know, good means, like the the individual who has spent their entire career uh, within the the particular uh, business environment uh, has really risen in the ranks to being the expert in their field. There's a level of authority there. And with that comes responsibility, but nonetheless, it's it's not an evil way. The fact that that man or woman spent the time and energy to get there shouldn't be um, diminished. It should be in, in some ways honored. There are bad ways in which we get there, such as you know maybe having the wealth to buy our way there. Maybe relationally we're connected. You know, it's the old. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Maybe it's. Um, through an aspect of, of gender, we're just going to, to take because we're, we're men or we're because we manipulate because we're this or that. Um, we're men, but it could be neutral too. I mean, it, you know, beyond your control, the place that you were born might give you some advantages. Um, again, gender may play a role in that, you know, uh, being born as a man myself, 
I have certain advantages. Um, I'm typically bigger and faster and stronger than um, female counterparts, whether it be my wife or in a professional environment. Uh, my tone is going to be deeper, more aggressive in some ways, can be. I have some natural power that's just, just a neutral thing. Um, it could be given to me. That, that could be a good, bad, or neutral. So it's just power and positions the context. It can be arrived at through a variety of means. And the means by which someone comes into power does have a moral obligation, right? If an individual has bought their way into power, robbed their way into power, deceived their way into power, then there should be consequences to that. Uh, but entitlement, I think, is what's happening in the context, right? Depending upon a person's worldview, um, power can be misused or abused. It can easily lead to misuse or abuse of power and position. Entitlement tells us things about ourselves and gives us permission to use advantages um, against others. And I think that's really what's embodied in the pyramid diagram, where an individual presses down upon another through some sense of worth, value. And we see this throughout history where marginalized people um, have been exposed to the hands of um, culturally um, benefit, benefited people, people who have some kind of benefit or privilege or, or so on, where they use that power over groups of people. We've seen that in nation states where political power is abused against citizens, and we've certainly seen it in marriages where one individual through an upper hand, some advantage, is objectifying, oppressing, and pressing down on the other. So I do ask the guys that I work with to consider Matthew 18, uh, not the church discipline section per se, but the story of the ungrateful servant. You know, the ungrateful servant was not transformed by the master's mercy. That was available to him, right? The master's mercy, um, and grace was available to the servant in such regard that he could have easily changed his own life, seen his own life transformed by modeling his masters. But instead, he was emboldened by his freedom, right? Instead of using his freedom to show others grace and mercy, he was emboldened by his own entitlement to use his freedom to harm others. You see, the way we view ourselves, or one way we might look at it in a future lesson is, uh, as we get to the transformation piece, is what how we view God, ourselves, and others. You know, where we place this worldview in proper perspective uh, will we'll address that entitlement. But if I'm the center stage, if I'm the central piece, and I use this power to, to press down on others, then I'm going to, to say that one, as a believer, it's intrinsically anti-Christ, right? Generally speaking, it's wicked, right? It's, a, it's immoral from a general position, but from a specific Christian, specific Christian position, it is anti-Christ. It's um, not becoming of a Christian, however you want to word that. And the context is often malleable. Like the context of power and position is usually less important than the heart of the person in power. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there are some aspects of power that are intrinsically, inherently um, problematic, and we should we should probably avoid those. I won't get into details on that. That's a theological um, paradigm that we don't have time to get into today. But I do think there are some problems with power 
problems with position. And I personally believe many Christians uh, seek out worldly power and worldly position um, that runs in contrast to our calling as a Christian. But most certainly, as we apply this to marriage, you can see how entitlement, right, can twist scripture, um, invite us, tempt us into wrongdoing and be used to justify, rationalize this power over structure of the top-down model. Uh, the filter that we want to use, what we want to do is we want to press this model through the filter of what I call the Jesus hermeneutic. So we're encouraging each other to see the context of power through the lens of scripture and in particular Jesus in order to respond to our power, position, and privilege biblically. So you take the context, right, of power and position, and you compare it to the person and the work of Jesus. You take the heart within that position, and you contrast that with the heart and mind of Jesus and see if you are in line, right, or if you are running a, a deviant course, if you're divergent from that. So um, I'll give you a quick example on a, a nationalistic level. So I was listening to a preacher recently who was um, really calling for political power. He really believed that it was essential that Christians be in political power, all right? So if you just take that and run it through the Jesus filter, I would say, look at the Jesus conversation with Pilate. This is what I would encourage him to do. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, if my kingdom were of this world, my belief, my followers would be out fighting, right? They would be using the same type of tactics that you guys use, but my kingdom's not of this world. So how would you theologically interpret that to this preacher who is calling for kind of a political revolution among Christians. The second is if you can pass that test and you can say, well, I do see the need for Christians to be in positions of political power. If you pass that test, then move to the second test. What is the heart, right? What is the worldview that is uh, in which that power is going to operate? And of course, this preacher then would go on to say, we need that so that we can get Christian morals legislated. And then my question would be, scripturally speaking, how does one reconcile Jesus's call to faith, Jesus's call to being transformed by the renewing of your mind, and the power over structure of legislative morality? And I know that might be a bit, you know, ethereal, but that would be like one example. I, I need to push these power questions through a Jesus filter. And if it works nationalistically or politically, then I think it works personally, okay? So some of the power over Q&A that I would ask of guys would be, in what capacities do you or have you exercised power over others? Be specific. Think about the way in which you interact with your wife and kids. What is the uh, capacity in which you operate? Are you to use the vernacular, the metaphors, right? Are you the king of the castle? Castle? Do you rule the roost? Are you making all the decisions? Are you demanding certain things from your family, like submission and obedience? Are you operating from a power over strategy because you're the man or you're the husband, etc.? So we want to be specific, and then we look at that and we want to say if that's true 
yes, I'm the man, I'm the husband, I get to make the rules, I'm the final authority, leaders have to lead, followers have to follow. Now, we're going to in a moment push that through the filter of Jesus. What does Jesus say about that, both in his words and then also in his character? Second question is, in what, if any, capacities is power over appropriate? Now, I ask this question because I want to gauge their worldview, right? And so this is where some some discussions will happen around self-defense and war and violence and, um, you know, more um, uh, ethereal kind of big picture things. And then we're going to narrow it down to what happens in our home, what happens with our family. The reason why this is an important discussion, because it gives you a glimpse of this individual's belief system. I might have a very different belief system uh, than this person. That doesn't mean that mine is safe and his is unsafe, right? I, I believe my worldview is safe, but he may have a safe worldview that differs from mine. But putting it on this linear scale, you know, what is appropriate power over kind of helps me see how far this thinking will go. When does it become appropriate to coerce, to use force, to threaten? And is it ever appropriate? And then, of course, uh, in what capacity is power over inappropriate? The converse uh, of the question will also give us good data, information, understanding, again, worldview, how the individual believes power over um, can and should be used. Uh, it's kind of giving you a thesis for uh, force, coercion, threat, etc. I hope that is making sense. The power under reflection then is to take this data, this conversation, and as I said earlier, push it through a Jesus filter. One of the passages I love to use um, to help us process this is Ma uh, Mark chapter 10. You can find the uh, similar story in Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read Mark 10, 42 through 45. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Very similar to what we've been talking about, right? So Jesus creates the structure that we've been talking about, this pyramid of authority at the top, the object at the bottom, and pressing down to produce conformity. Then he says this, this would be an imperative to the disciples, not so with you. Instead, right? So this is not to be how you as disciples of Jesus operate as power over, lording over people. Instead, here's the alternative. If you want to be, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus sets up a new paradigm that says, if you want to lead properly, if you want to be great, you need to serve. Turn the structure, as it were, upside down. Don't lord power over, but use power effectively. I heard a um, CEO recently talking about this, and he, he made the statement that if you're under the impression that your employees work for you, then you will then you will not have the love and the support of your employees. He said, instead, work for them and their good, and then they will work even harder 
for you. Now that's still a, a worldly king of the world principle, but he had learned something that was effective for him. He realized that if he focused on his employees, he got more productivity from them. Now this is not just about productivity, not just about the bottom line. Uh, he's using that principle and seeing some success. Jesus is taking that a step farther to say this is the Christian's response to position. If you're going to lead, it's through service, right? If you're going to lead, it's through um, empowerment, not power over. So the power under Q&A would be something like this as we're continuing the discussion. How would you describe Jesus's approach to power, position, and authority, right? We're setting that up so we can contrast it with your own. How would you describe G what, the way Jesus approaches power, position, and authority? Consider the following passages with this power under approach in mind. This is where the Jesus hermeneutic comes in. Let's read some significant passages through this idea that Jesus came to serve, not to be served, that he calls his disciples, not so with you, instead, right? Instead of using power over, he calls us to something different. So when we read Philippians 2, we get the model by which Jesus lived and served us in humility when he had every right to power over, he chose instead to use what we're going to call power under. Colossians 3, husbands called to love their wives. 1 Peter 3, husbands called to be considerate with their wives. 1 Peter 5, leaders called to shepherd the flock of God. Ephesians 5, husbands called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How might these passages that have traditionally, in the mind of, of an abusive person who claims to be a Christian, how might these passages that have been used to support the power over position, how might they now undermine that position? That's what we're getting at. The passages that you were using to lord over your family don't mean what you think they mean. It's like the Princess Bride, right? You keep using that word, headship, submission, authority. I don't think it means what you think it means. When we read it through the lens of Jesus, it takes on a very different meaning. And it redeems or restores power to a Christian perspective as opposed to the kingdom of the world perspective. This is very much a Romans 12 exercise, right? Be transformed by changing the way you think. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, which is very much power over. Instead, change the way you think, right? Embrace the power under theology of Jesus. The next thing we would ask might be, how would you describe or diagram power under based on the scriptures that we've read? What we're really pulling for is an attempt to offer an, an alternative. And I want to see that come from people I'm working with rather than just me offering it to them. I would love to see this triangle get turned upside down. So there is some aspect of position. There might be some aspect of privilege or power. In some ways, I need to reject that, you know, right? My following Jesus may, may call me to abandon some aspects of power. There may be some that are, that are good or neutral that then I'm being called to use for the benefit of others, not to abuse for the benefit of myself. So what I might do is turn it upside down, that the, the narrow end is at the bottom, placing the weight on me as a person in position. And the object, as it were, are the individuals for which I'm serving. And that gets broader. 
So there's more of them, more opportunity, right? I'm not using power and position to force others into conformity, right? I'm using it to serve them, to empower them, uh, to equip them, uh, to propel them into a position of, uh, of, of freedom in a lot of ways. So that's my, how I might diagram it. So looking at that, I would ask a guy something like this, how might this diagram, this power understructure, be applied to your current situation? Is there anything familiar about your current relationship that's consistent with this? What would need to change? Here's another question. What would need to change for your family to feel empowered as opposed to diminished? Another question might be what practical next steps must you engage in to see this become a reality? And of course, a discussion like that can last um, a good while. I mean, I think you can see if you're a people helper, how just this discussion that we're having, it could go up on all kinds of little side trails that would be beneficial for gathering information, but also for practical application. Because we really want an individual who is using their power to harm others to, to do one of two things. Actually acknowledge that they're harming others uh, and um, double down on that to say, this is what I want. I'm, I do deserve this. I am entitled to this. I mean, if they reject the clear teaching of scripture, then we have an opportunity to confront them properly and say, you know what, I, this doesn't sound like a believer. And then, of course, second is that they would repent. That, that's the better option, that they would say, I want to be more like Jesus. And, of course, Jesus didn't use power like this. Jesus didn't crush me uh, beneath the weight of, of his power. He served us. Uh, lastly, the illustration that I use quite a bit, I don't know where it came from. The person I heard it first from was Elise Fitzpatrick, who said that the leadership model of the world is uh, the stick or the carrot, right? You either beat the, the donkey or the beast with the stick to motivate it, or you manipulate it with the carrot by enticing it to move. And uh, God doesn't operate that like that. Um, she said he, he broke the stick on his son's back and then fed us the carrot. I mean, it's out of his great love that we serve. It's not obligation or fear. In, in fact, First John, uh, John tells us that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So we're not motivated by the fear of punishment uh, in our service of God. We're motivated by his great love, mercy, and grace for us, which is the, the distinction that Jesus makes in that Matthew 18 story. That, that's the choice in front of us. We can um, accept God's grace and live in light of that and uh, receptive of that, or we can use it, you know, and possibly abuse it. That's true of power. Uh, but I don't think we can continue to abuse power right? And claim the name of Jesus in that regard because of his words in Mark 10, Matthew 20. All right. So I hope that that was helpful and um, looking forward to uh, discussing this uh, more. So uh, yeah, uh, I appreciate you guys. And again, hope that this was a helpful presentation and I'm looking forward to seeing you real soon.